You're listening to the Audacious Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at our Chester campus. We know this is a great investment into your life. So tune in, listen up and stay focused. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. Awesome. Well, just for those of you that don't know me, my name is Pastor Paul Reed. I'm part of the team here at Audacious Church. I spend most of my time in Manchester at our central campus, but this is my church. This is my home. I absolutely love being here with you guys in Chester. I'm going to read a key scripture to you. It's not actually or exclusively for today's message. It's actually for an entire series of messages You may not know this, but we do our messages often in groups, like two or three or four weeks on the bounce with the same theme. We call it a series, a preaching series, and you are here on the first day of a brand new series called This Audacious Life. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that in a moment. But let me just read this key scripture to you. This is Matthew chapter 7, and in verse 16, these are the words of Jesus. He says, you can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. And verse 20, Jesus says, Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Let's pray. Father, we give our hearts to you again in this moment, and we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to each and every single one of us. God, save us from coming to church and going away the same. We actually want you, we're inviting you to change us. Bring about transformation on the inside so that we can see, as Julie was sharing in the offering, the overflow of that transformation into the lives of the other people around us. God, we know, and it blows our mind even, that even though you are the King of Kings, the Most High God, and you're holding all things together, making gravity work and uh, planets spin, and yet you want to and know how to speak directly to us. And so God, we open our hearts and we want to hear your voice. So speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brilliant. All right, why don't we thank the worship team. Good job, guys. Thank you so much. When you've done that, you can take your seats. In 2018... Me and Zoe, that's my wife, we went with a group of friends, big group of friends to Israel. And it was an absolutely brilliant trip. We went to Nazareth, we went to Bethlehem, we went to all these amazing biblical sites. The River Jordan where Jesus was baptized, like the whole nine yards. It was a brilliant, brilliant trip. And while we were there, we went on on the Sea of Galilee, the, the, the lake where Jesus walked on the water. We went on that lake. Just me and you, Abby, think that that is exciting. Well, maybe you're like, like me in that from a distance, I wasn't that bothered. And I, I wasn't one of these people who was always desperate to go to Israel and walk in the footsteps of Jesus. I was kind of like, oh, yeah, that'd be cool. But when I got there, it was awesome. So imagine if you've been and you thought it was awesome and then react. 
Oh, there you go. Amazing, right? And so we had this great time. We were on this boat on the Sea of Galilee. We were crossing the lake. And um, the guy who owned the boat, he was a boat owner come tour guide. And so he was um, all about creating a special moment. And so he had Oceans by Hillsong on his uh, speaker system on the boat. Spirit, move me as we something on the water. I forgot it again. As we dance upon the water and then something, something else. Um, it, was, it, was all, it was all there. The oceans was playing. We were praying. The wind was blowing my hair. I did have hair then, actually. Not a lot, but more than this. Uh, and, you know, the sun was shining. It was just like, it was absolutely brilliant moment. And so we were having this moment, and what we noticed was that there was another boat coming the other way, back across, and we were going to sort of cross paths on the lake. Now, what was noticeable about the other boat is that unlike our boat that had a Union Jack, because it was full of English people, full of British people, the boat that was coming back the other way um, had an American flag. Sorry, Kylie. Um, The enemy, right? No, I'm just joking. You're not, you're not, you're not. And so the Americans were coming this way and we were going that way. And though we were singing Your Spirit Moves as we danced upon the water by Hillsong, we quickly transitioned into a rousing chorus of the national anthem. God save our gracious queen, long live, come on join in, noble queen, God save our queen, na na na, na 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 na, send her victorious, stand back up, happy and good, just me and you, and Matt, something to reign over us, come on big finish, God save our a queen, right? Now, just at that moment, right at the end, the crescendo, if you like, the American boat was literally level with us. And as if by some kind of shared psyche, like no preparation, no discussion took place. As soon as we were level as boats and we finished, God save us, we, we, right? We were really going for it. We went into the lesser known second verse of the national anthem, which consists of one line that you repeat over and over again. It's a question, God save American boat. The queen, Uaya, Uaya, Uaya. And we turned into football hooligans for just a moment. And the Americans were like, hey, Brad, move the children from the hooligans. And, uh, and there was an exchange between us. I'm pretty sure they weren't called Brad or there was any children. But uh, it was a good story. In a footballing context, the question, who are you, has become really out of breath. I'm going to have to take my jacket off now. It has become a bit of an insult. Thank you. It's become a bit of an insult. Like, who do you think you are? I was at Old Trafford yesterday watching Everton narrowly miss out on, on a win, three points at Old Trafford. And, uh, and when Andros Townsend, and you are thinking, who the heck's that? Which illustrates my point. Uh, when he scored a goal at Old Trafford, he did Cristiano Ronaldo, who you know, he did his signature celebration. <gasps> Right? He did that right in front of the United fans. And all of Old Trafford were pointing at Andros Townsend going, Who are you? Who are you? It's a bit of an insult. Like, who do you think you are? But in actual fact, I'll tell you that story to raise the question, Who are you? 
It's actually one of life's big questions, the question of identity, who am I, is a question that enters our hearts and our heads on a regular basis. I would say that over 2020 and the whole COVID pandemic is probably one of the biggest questions that we've asked ourselves as the, the sort of... Um, the sort of building blocks of our lives, the foundational things in our lives have actually, uh, things that would never normally change or move have actually moved. People have lost their jobs. People have lost loved ones. People have began to question the rhythms of life and the, the very fabric of, of who we are. And if you're like me, in the last 12, 18 months, you've probably said, who am I? I used to be this, and the measure of that might have been what I did, but I'm not doing what I did anymore. It's been removed. Probably throughout your life, you either have or will ask the question, who am I? You go from being single to being married, and all of a sudden you better ask the question, who am I now? Otherwise you won't remain happily married for very long, because you are no longer single. You are now married. And I know loads of married people who still act like they're single. And that's a path to destruction, let me tell you. Before you have your first child, what, who you are with your spouse is very different to after you have your first child. And you better ask yourself, and probably most new parents at three o'clock in the morning, at a very dark hour, probably ask themselves, who am I anymore? Right? I'm just a walking pram. As I said before, I have a pram. It's full of stuff. There's no children ever in it because they refuse to go in it. You would never have thought that five years ago. It was all me and Matt and we were walking in the meadow with, you know, I'm sure they didn't walk in meadows, but you know what I'm saying. But something changed because that is a key question. And in actual fact, as a church, we're 14 years old as in big picture audacious. Now, Chester Campus is five and a half years old, and that is awesome. So, so here in Chester for five and a half years, and in Manchester, 14 years ago, and throughout the last 14 years, we have been asking, who are we? And the key to the question is not the question, it's who you ask. If you ask God, who am I, and then adjust your life, to reflect or be in alignment with who God says you are, then according to the word of God, you will, you will walk into what Julie was describing in the offering as overflow. We use the word breakthrough. We use the word favor. We use the, you know, the, this idea of being in the will of God. And so we asked 14 years ago, what sort, who are we as a church God? And this series that we're in week one of today is a brand new to some of you series, but for others of you, it's not brand new because you know what? We do this every couple of years because it's actually good for us to firstly remind ourselves who God says we are, especially when you read the words of Jesus that says you can tell who someone is by their fruit. So we can say we're this, but let's just check the fruit because you're not. What you say you are, you are what the fruit you are. And this is a key question to us. And so this series, This Audacious Life, what we're going to be doing over the next three or four weeks is just sharing with you four key facets, four key character traits or fruit, if you like, to use the context of that verse we just read, four of the fruits 
of this kind of audacious life. We do not claim to be the best church in the world. We do not claim to be better than the church down the road. We don't claim to be the only church in the world. We're not saying that this way of doing church is the only right way to do it. But what we are saying is, we asked God and we continue to ask God, who are we? And constantly the same four things keep coming back, both in word but also in fruit. And so you need to know, if you're part of our church and you have been for the past five and a half years or shorter then you need to know not just who we are corporately, but remember the church is not the building. You are the church. So by saying we are, I'm saying you are. So you need reminding who you are if you're part of Audacious Church. You don't have to be part of this church. There's plenty of other churches. But if you're saying this is my church, then this is who you are. For others of you, you hear for the first time or you've been coming just for a few weeks or months and you kind of are making your mind up, well, this is going to help you. It's either going to, you're either going to sink or swim with this series. It's either like, this is my tribe, this is where I belong, or you're going to be like, I am out of here. Either way, find where you belong. The Bible says, planted in the house, right? They will flourish and that is God's will for your life. And so we came up with four things. The four things are the four messages over the next four weeks. Firstly, fearlessly devoted, which is what Danny was talking to us about in his audacious moment slot in the praise and worship. And I'm going to talk to you about that for 10 minutes as part of this message as we come into land in just a moment. But the other three things are fiercely determined. Okay, fiercely determined. In other words, grit. In other words, that whatever it takes, spirit, if you press, squash, crush an audacious person, what you're going to find is they are fiercely determined. They will do, you will do, I will do whatever it takes to pursue the call of God and the will of God. Number three, we are seriously fun. In other words, we do not take ourselves too serious. We take the kingdom of God, eternity, the will of God, the word of God, the house of God, the presence of God. We take it very seriously and we have a proper laugh while we're doing it. All right. And so you're going to find people in Audacious Church making fun of themselves. You, of course, know that there are more than five love languages. There are the standard five that exist in the book, Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. But there are two extras. One is food. Julie's love language. She already brought bacon and, and used a cooking illustration in this service. So food is a love language that some people... My wife doesn't speak that language. I could make her a sandwich and she'd be like, nah, buy me some shoes. Right? The seventh love language is banter. In other words, making fun of each other. If we mock you, it means we love you. So we're seriously fun. And the fourth one is wildly authentic. In other words, what you see is what you get. Not as an excuse to be average or less, but to just know for sure that what you see on the outside is exactly who we are on the inside. And the gap between what we say we are and what we actually are, we're always working on shrinking the gap. Now, there's a faith gap, right? Because we declare things that are not as though they are. But not to the point where you're like, hang on a minute, you said you were X and you're clearly Y. Okay, wildly authentic. So those are coming up over the next few weeks. But today's message, for 10 minutes, I want to talk to you. Week one of this audacious life, your life, right, is here's one of the fruits, is that we are fearlessly devoted to God. 
fearlessly devoted to God. And I was glad Danny shared his audacious moment because it was a great setup for this message. In modern society, people are devoted to all sorts of different things. You ever have a conversation with someone and they're wildly passionate about something and you're like, what are you talking about? It sends you to sleep. Probably for some of you, as I started to talk about Old Trafford and Everton and Andros Townsend, you were like, blah, 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 right? Because one person's passion is another person's, like, lunacy. Like, what are you talking about? But we're all devoted to all sorts of different things. But there is a common theme, a common trend that seems to run through modern society is that everybody is devoted to more, increase. People want popularity. They want academic success. They want a partner. They want significance. They want success or celebrity or more followers or more views or more likes or more money or more fun or more experience or more opportunities or more happiness. They want to move to London. They want to move to LA. They want to move to Chester. They want to move to the city. They want to move away from the city. They want more friends, more feelings, more stuff. And it's driven by the... Social media, not just that, but just the kind of contemporary media-driven society. Anyone tried to get petrol recently? Gosh, I actually need some petrol to get home. So if you can investigate where I can get that, that would be great. Uh, but it's driven by media and digital marketing and advertising and promotion. And we compare our real lives to the fake lives that are promoted everywhere. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking, not me, brother. I am a Christian. So I'm not driven by that. Plus, I'm not a millennial either. So I don't care about social media. But let me tell you, we have our own Christian version of the same thing. We've got Christian celebrities. Come on, you, you subscribe to the podcasts and all of that jazz. You like preachers with sneakers or whatever it's called. A few people are going to look that up now. Don't do that. What we do is we end up reading our Bible and we only see the highlights. We play pick and mix with the Bible a little bit. And we kind of like don't realize that the, the, some of the low lights in the Bible are just as important, if not more important, in order for us to find out exactly who we're supposed to be. Because the Bible is like a mirror. When you read it, it reads you. And so we need to look in the Bible, not just for the highlights. Let me give you an example. David, right? King David, you would know him as, or you might know him as giant killer David, because those are the highlights of his life. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, here's the first highlight we find about David. He is chosen above all of his brothers in a lineup to be anointed to be the next king. Woo, highlight. How good is that? And we read that and we're like, choose me, Lord. Send me, Lord. I will go. Choose me. Don't choose my brother. Don't choose the person. In, don't choose that Doreen in the next chair. Whatever. We're saying, pick me, Lord. Pick me for promotion, right? And then 1 Samuel 17, David kills Goliath. Highlight. Swings the stone against the odds. Everybody loves the hero story. <laughs> Kills a giant. What a highlight. 2 Samuel chapter 5. And if you know your Bible, the gap between 1 Samuel 17 and 2 Samuel chapter 5 represents a decent length of time. But in 2 Samuel chapter 5, David becomes king. Highlight. But what we have to recognize that in the book of Acts, when the Bible celebrates David's life, it doesn't talk about any of those highlights. It doesn't say David who killed a giant. It doesn't uh, pause and, and press into the fact that David was anointed and chosen above his brothers. It says two things. It says he served the purposes of God in his generation before he fell asleep. Just 
That's a word of the Lord for some asleep Christians. And the second thing it says is that um, he, he was a man after God's own heart. In other words, his devotion was to the heart of God more than anything else. He was fearlessly devoted. And what we have to understand, that all those highlights are good, but what was happening under the surface, here's David being anointed as king up here. Here's giant killer David and King David on the throne. But down here is before he was chosen in that lineup, the lineup already started and he wasn't even picked. He was in the field. So he's in a field being overlooked and rejected by his father, but he was still serving with all of his heart. In the battle, which eventually led to him killing Goliath, he actually didn't even make the cut as a soldier. He was a cheese deliverer. He was taking some cheese to his brothers, some cheese grommet, right, to his brothers who were soldiers. He didn't even make the cut, and yet he still was obedient to his dad. In the palace, when the current king was trying to take his life, he was faithful in his worship to God. In a cave, surrounded by villains, and on the run, he still honoured God and didn't take the opportunity to destroy the, the, um, the Lord's anointed in that moment, who was a different king. He lived behind enemy lines, as a, as a, perceived as a traitor, because he had to live with the Philistines for over a year, and yet he remained loyal and submitted to authority, even the authority of a godless king. His own men turned on him, plotting to kill him. And yet the Bible says he found strength in the Lord, his pursuit of God, his devotion to God. Even after he became king, he honored the previous king by doing what no one would do, by finding the, the, uh, the, any living relative of the king that he just dethroned and showing him honor, not taking him out, which is what was expected. It was exposed uh, his sin was exposed by the prophet Nathan after making a terrible mistake. But in Psalm 51, he repented and said, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew in me a steadfast spirit. Those are the words of someone who's fearlessly devoted. Instead of messing about with his reputation and trying to hold it all together, he just broke down and said, God, I am sorry. He was stricken by grief and loss when his own child died and the, the heavens seemed silent. And yet, he chose to worship. His audacious life, your audacious life, this audacious life is not characterized by the highlights that we, that we love to read and apply to our lives. It's actually characterized by all this stuff under the surface. Danny, when he was telling us his audacious moment, there was no one else in the room when he made that decision. The audacious college deans were not there to, to um, you know, blow a trumpet when he made that decision. You know what? I'm going to worship God. It's going to be a sacrifice of praise. I'm going to worship God despite my feelings. No one was there to snap it for Instagram and put it on their story and go, great job, Danny. No, it was completely hidden. It was under the surface. So to be fearlessly devoted, we need to flip the switch. We need to take what was under the surface and make that our priority. There are three things, right, that people are devoted to that I'm going to tell you in seven minutes if you believe in miracles. <laughs> Number one is promotion. Everybody wants a promotion. Everybody's got a side hustle. Everybody's got some kind of thing that they're doing to make it happen. But this audacious life, we understand that our promotion is actually found in our devotion to God. 
our promotion. Listen, your promotion that you want, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's not evil or selfish, but the promotion that you want, whatever that looks like, is actually found in devotion to God. It's not writing your blog. It's reading your Bible. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet. These are a few cheesy preacher lines coming your way, so get ready. It's not knowing the right people. It's in knowing him. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. There's no comma or full stop. It says, through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. It's not about developing a social media presence. This is cheesy. It's about prioritizing his presence. Psalm 51 says, Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. That is King David right there. It's not about presenting your ideas, it's about planting your life in his house. Psalm 92 says, planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish. David is a teenager when he's anointed as king. He's a man when he becomes king in 2 Samuel chapter 5. And the thing that happens between those two, the thing that makes his promotion come true, oh, one day you're going to be promoted to king, says Samuel the prophet. 2 Samuel chapter 5 He's finally promoted to being the king. But what happens in the middle is fearless devotion to God. (laughs) Should we applaud the word of the Lord or not? Like we should probably choose one or the other. It's not for me. I don't mind, honestly. But I think if we're going to do it, we should probably do it. The second thing is power. We don't call it power in modern society because it sounds a little bit Game of Thronesy. What we call it is influence. Everybody wants influence. That's why we have people who are famous for being influencers. What does that even mean? We're talking about power, the power to control, the power to um, move forward, the power to overcome, the power to change. But the, 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 the narrative in modern society is that the power is, is in you. Like you can do it. You can get what you want. If you just picture it in your mind and believe it, then you're going to have it. Whereas that's not what the Bible says. The, pa- the power does not come from within, but it comes from with him. Yeah. Imagine Pilate discovering this truth. That powerful scene when Jesus has been arrested and he's being tried for crimes he hasn't even committed. And Pilate thinks he holds all the cards in his hand. Jesus is being grilled and he's remaining silent and it's winding Pilate up. He says in verse 10 of John chapter 19, Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or crucify you? And then all of heaven holds its breath and hell quakes in fear while the king of kings opens his mouth and says, You would have no power over me if it weren't given to you from above. Gosh, look at that. I'm not even exaggerating. The hairs on my arms stand up when I think about that moment because Pilate's power is not found in him. If he was to have any power, it actually comes from above. That's why it's celebrated in the musical. (laughs) All the power you have comes to you from far beyond. Everything is fixed and you can't change it. says Jesus in the, uh, in the musical. If you want the power to change, if you want the power to move forward or, I don't know, get some kind of breakthrough in your life, what you actually need to do is to be fearlessly devoted 
to God. Because the power to change is found in his presence. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 10 says, If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, then more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. What that means is, is that you can try as hard as you want with a blunt axe to chop down a tree and you will just get tired. And it seems counter, it's counterintuitive to stop hitting But in order to chop the tree down effectively, you need to stop hitting and start sharpening. Because if you sharpen the axe, Ecclesiastes is saying, you'd only have to hit the tree half as much times and probably, you know, with less energy expended and the tree would fall down. And yet we're on the, we're on the hamster wheel. We're on the, we're on the, you know, we're on the tread, treadmill of like, we've got to get it, got to get it, got to get it. And it's like, I can't stop. I can't stop and read my Bible. I can't stop and do what Danny said. It's all right for him. You know, young kids probably just got nothing to do anyway. Just sits around. He's a college student. Probably only got one lecture a week. We've got all this rhetoric in our minds. But actually what he did and what many of us need to do is actually stop for a minute and get your devotion lined up with the word of God so that you can become sharp. Because the Bible says that the anointing, right, breaks the yoke which is a strange expression when we don't understand agriculture and what a yoke is. A yoke is something that would tie together, right, two animals and harness their power, but like it would restrict them from moving and it would, it would um, tie them to something they didn't want to be tied to. But the anointing, the Bible says, breaks that which ties you and restricts you and holds you back. And there's things in your life that are difficult, like trying to chop a tree down with a blunt axe. But the Bible is teaching us that this audacious life is fearlessly devoted to God. And if you carve out the time, right, to, to we, we, we use this expression all the time, press into God's presence. It's a bit of a strange expression, but it's because, well, hell doesn't want you to do it. And so it's actually, it can be quite difficult, You ever decide, I'm going to read my Bible, and then there's like 50 million other things to do? You ever decide, right, I'm going to pray? Last Thursday, my wife and I, we decided we were going to fast and pray because we're believing for a miracle in one area of our lives. How many people know? All day Thursday, all I wanted to do was just say, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. Get me a penguin right now, as they were laid out on the table in the office. Like, get not an actual... As in a pick up a penguin, right? (laughs) All the power you have comes from above. The third thing is purpose. I'll finish with this. The vision or purpose or calling of your life comes to you as a seed. The problem we have is that we metaphorically look at the picture on the packet of the seeds, full flowers in bloom, and we then compare it to the brown, wrinkly bulbs in our hands. And we're like, hang on a minute, God, you promised me a great marriage. Hang on a minute, you promised me financial freedom. Hang on a minute, you promised me breakthrough. You promised me healing. What's this little brown, pathetic effort? It doesn't look anything like it says on the packet. Well, listen to these words. Here's the key. Uh, if I can find it. Oh, there you go. Next page. It says, I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. 
but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest. Everybody wants a harvest. Nobody wants a seed. So what do we do? We're going to pray. We're going to sing a worship song in a moment. And when we do, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate to us exactly where our priorities, our devotion has been one of two things, either diluted, because it just happens over time. We're all, you know, kind of passionate about driving safely when we first learned to drive. How many people know you can drive on autopilot like a maniac after you've been driving for a year? Right? So sometimes stuff is just diluted over time. It's not choice. It's not like we're choosing to compromise. My youth pastor used to say to me, compromise is defeat in installments. So it's either diluted or it's just been distracted. As in you are devoted. You're giving yourself, you're giving everything you've got to something. It's just the wrong thing. So how do we do it? Well, Firstly, we change our minds. And secondly, we change our priorities. You have to change your mind about what your problem is because your problem is not your problem. Your devotion is your problem. Now, I'm not saying that your problems are not real. If you've got a marriage problem, then God knows it and you know it and it's real. And the, the cross is not meant to hide that as if like, no, no, just sweep that under the carpet. We'll just be people of faith. It's not fake. No, we're saying, okay, First of all, my main thing to do first is make sure that I am devoted to God. Because I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to change me, that makes for a better marriage. Julie already said it. Maybe that's a word for someone in this service. Your problem is not a financial problem, primarily. The first thing to do is get your devotion to God. Fearless, like I will be devoted to God no matter what. When you recognize that that's different, you then start to change your priorities. Where's Matt? Jump up, Matt. This is basic physics. What I put first, Matt is represent, representing God. What I put first goes before me. So if I want to be over there, but I put God first, then he gets there before I do. And if I keep God as my priority, my devotion, fearlessly committed, then wherever I go in my future, God's already been there. If you're looking to the future and you're thinking, I'm going to get married one day, listen, be passionately and fearlessly devoted to God because by the time you get to your marriage, if you've been putting God first all your life, God will already be in your marriage. You've got young kids or you want to have a baby and that's like the next phase for your life and you're a bit thinking, I'm not sure how it's going to go and how will this will affect our relationship. Listen, don't worry about that. Put God first and he will be already, in fact, he is at the birth of your first child right now because he doesn't live in time like we do. He's already at your first day on the new job. He's already at the altar of your wedding. He's already at the, the, the graduation of your child through university, he's already there, cap and gown and the whole nine yards clapping, if you put him first. Thank you for listening to this Audacious podcast. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. We'd love for you to join us at one of our campuses, Manchester, Chester, or online, every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 12 p.m.